Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. And we are glad to be called your people and to have in our hands your very word. We ask, Father, that you would open our hearts and open our, our minds to hear your word as, we, as it's read, Lord, as it is spoken, and may we be faithful to the things that are taught here for Jesus' sake, in whose name we pray, amen. It's good to see all of you this 4th of July weekend, and it's good to be seen by those of you in the gym and the pavilion and Facebook and YouTube. This morning we're going to read from God's word in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 through 12, and also from Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 19, and then verses 25 through 30. And in reverence for the reading of God's word, wherever you are, please stand if you're able. Hear the word of the Lord. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. In Jesus' famous words in chapter 11 of the Gospel of Matthew, to what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her actions. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I want to talk about being prisoners of hope, because it is... It just, that phrase just captivates me. Prison and hope don't usually go together. Usually, you know, I'm going to prison. That doesn't sound hopeful. But can one be held captive by hope 
And if so, what does it look like? A few years ago, I met Chris Rakasisi, he's a senior advisor to President Museveni of Uganda. Now I met Chris, it was, it was 2012, and he told me the story of how Jesus found him while he was on death row in Luzira prison. And he said, when Jesus found him, he told him, Chris, no one will kill you. And after Jesus found him, Chris went on, he started a church in the prison among those who were condemned. Chuck Colson and, and prison fellowship worked with him. Camille Hallstrom was a professor at Covenant uh, uh, College and Titus Baraka, who's an uh, Anglican priest there in, in Uganda. Both of them helped him by teaching and, and providing peacemaking materials for the prisoners. He was in prison for 24 years. Museveni picked up the pen three times to sign the death warrant, but each time he heard a voice telling him, don't sign it. Rakasisi was pardoned in 2009 and Museveni made him one of his senior advisors. You talk about a Joseph type story. <laughs> Chris Rakasisi went from, from being a prisoner of hopelessness to being a prisoner of hope, providing hope to other prisoners. You know, and I can remember the look on his face, I can still see it, the look on his face as he was telling this story, he was, I mean, it was just glee, it was just joy. Now, I've been to prison twice. They couldn't hold me. I was just there to preach for the worship services. <laughs> but I understand that while in prison, your every movement is controlled. You don't get to make independent decisions. They're made for you. The prison controls your very existence. And now, if you are a prisoner of hope, what hope is powerful enough to lock you up? You know, yeah, so I want, I want to remind you that all of us, every one of us, we are all bound by hope. We're all bound to some kind of hope. We can't, we can't escape it. We're, we are hope-based creatures. And, and the hope is either false or true. So the question is, what hope has you bound? I want to appeal to you that, that it should be the hope that is here in the Word of God. And for that to be true, you need to examine. We need to examine the character of this hope the conquest of this hope, the covenant of this hope, and the consolation of this hope. So let's think about this. In verse 9, you have the character of this hope. In Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, this, this letter is written to people who have come out of exile. They've, and some of them are, are still captives, but they have, some have gone back to Jerusalem. And this, this letter, it's, no, it's, it's known as apocalyptic literature. It's that genre of literature in the scripture. And with apocalyptic literature, literature you know, the message is what's important. The images 
are helping to convey the message. The message is what's important. The images may or may not have, uh, may or may not have meaning, uh, but only as they help to convey the message. That's what's important in apocalyptic, apocalyptic imagery. It, it, uh, 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 literature, that's the word. <laughs> and the message of Zechariah here in this chapter is, your king is coming. And the character of this hope is bound to a king who is royal, righteous, and humble. He's royal. He's David's royal son. In Jeremiah 23.5, this is what it says about, about David's royal son. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. So he's a royal son. He's a royal son who, who does what is right. So he's also, as the text says, he is righteous. So he's royal and he's righteous, that he will do what is right. Or in another translation, you might read, he will do what is just. He will be equitable and fair. He will do what it takes, this word righteousness, what it takes to advantage the community. Bruce Walkey describes how this Hebrew word, and the Hebrew word there is Sadiq, and it's, and it's a word that, that Bruce Walkey describes it this way. He said it's to bring about right and harmony for all, for individuals related in the community and in the physical and spiritual realms. It finds its basis in God's rule of the world. The righteous, the Sadiq, are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. Now, I don't know how you've read, and I don't how you've read the word righteous when you, when you come across it in the Bible. I mean, that's, that's not typically the way we think of it, but this is the way the Hebrews would have thought of it. This is the way they would have thought about righteousness. And so this king, when he comes with righteousness, with this understanding of righteousness, we can see why he's coming having salvation. Because he wouldn't be righteous if he doesn't save. And this also helps us to understand his humility because he will disadvantage himself in order to advantage the community. And this helps. So, so the gentle, that word, it's, it's, it means to be afflicted. And the same idea is in, he, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, where Jesus says, take up my yoke, learn of me, from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. That word, humble, yeah, it's the same thing, to be brought low in grief. That this is, this, that this is Jesus. He's, he's humbled himself. He's taken on our grief. This is the king, and he uses his power that way. He uses his power, that's what meekness means, to, to the way it's, it's to use power rightly. You know, it's, he uses this meek, his, his meekness to take on our grief. Hence, he's gentle. Don't you love that? If you're grieving, yeah, you want somebody gentle. <laughs> He's lowly, riding on a donkey, not a steed. Because it's it, there's a message that's being communicated here. He's royal. He's righteous. He's humble. And it's, the and it's this character of hope. And how fitting that is when we consider the conquest of this hope. Because look at verse 10. 
I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So how does this conquest come about? Peace. Peace is what we see here. Peace is the means of this conquest. No war machines. No no F-16s, no Patriot missiles, no tanks. His means of conquering is not through their weaponry. uh, And there is also in the text here, there is an implied reunification of the nation here. Remember Ephraim and Judah? Judah, Ephraim is the north, Judah is in the south, and they've been separated because, because of, well, how brothers can be. But it it goes even further because it's it's a proclamation of peace. It's a proclamation of peace to the nations. The king preaches peace. See, Paul says of Jesus in Ephesians 2.17 that this is what he did. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. See, through David's royal son, there would be peace for the nations. But it goes even further still because it says his rule extends from the river to the ends of the earth. That's to say that his rule is cosmic. It's universal. That this is, this is not merely just for the nation of Israel, but it is for all nations. It's for the universe. It's for all of creation. Isn't that a beautiful uh, response to in, in that we read this morning for, for the uh, catechism, reminding us of the scope of what the Redeemer has done, what Christ is doing? Yeah, this, this promise, is, it's not merely just for personal peace, which is good, but it's for cosmic peace. And don't you know that that's exactly what Every person who has ever lived has looked for, has, has every nation. Yeah, they're, they're pursuing peace. They're pursuing peace. And many pursue it at the end of a weapon. But this is a peaceful hope. Ephesians 1, 9, 10 says this, that because this, this conquest, the hope results in everything being reconciled to God. And Ephesians 1, 9 and 10 says this, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. It sounds like to me that God is pursuing us for peace. Hallelujah. The conquest of hope is peace. Peace ethnically, peace cosmically between heaven and earth. And it comes as a fulfillment to God's, of God's promise. This has, been, this has been God's goal all along. There's a cov- so there's the, co- there's the covenant of this hope in verse 11. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. And so this hope is derived from the covenant that God has made with his people. And the text says, it's the blood of my covenant. So covenants are sealed with blood. 
And there's a great illustration of this in Genesis chapter 15 where, where God makes the covenant with Abraham. And, and Abraham is asleep. Have you ever slept while you're making a contract? <laughs> you, know, you can't really argue. You know, I, I, I didn't really agree with that contract. Well, but you said you'd, well, I was asleep when it happened. You know, so Abraham is asleep. You know, I mean, I can imagine. You know, you're wore out after you after you butcher some animals and you separate their pieces and you get them all lined up because you're making this contract. You know, yeah, you might want to take a nap after that. But while Abraham is asleep, God is the one making. You know, that was, this was the way they made contracts. This is the way they made covenants, and God is the one. They were both supposed to walk through the pieces, but Abraham's asleep. God walks through the pieces of, the, of this butchered animal, which, means, which communicates to us that, it, that this, this contract, this covenant that God makes, by this action, it was saying that may what happened to these animals, that they, are, that, they are, that they are butchered, that they are severed, may that happen to me if I should break the covenant I've made with you. You see, the strength of this covenant, the commitment of this covenant is dependent solely on the Lord. And God's commitment to his covenant means prisoners will be set free. Hallelujah. That's good news this morning. See, that's why, that's why we're told to rejoice in verse 9 and to shout, daughter of Jerusalem. The king hasn't come, but this is when he, when he comes, this is what he's doing. And that's why the songwriter would say, Charles Wesley would say, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound by sin in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. See, that's the covenant. That's the covenant of this hope. And this, but this, and this covenant carries a sweet consolation. Because look at verse 12. There, there's the consolation of this hope in verse, verse Zechariah 9, 12. Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Return to your fortress. That this covenant is a stronghold for these believers. This, this, this covenant, it's, it, it's, 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 he's saying, take up the offer of salvation. It's the same invitation that Jesus makes in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's the rest. It's this. It's this. This idea of restoration. Restoration is the Hebrew word here means to to fetch home again. So so it's 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 the that something is out of place. That things are and things are out of place, aren't they? They think something's out of place, but it's being restored. It's being brought back to the place where it belongs, and not just that, but doubly. You see. Your father, our father, knows that things are out of place. And that's, that's not hard to see you know, as, as we consider our, our world all, all the time. It's not hard to see that, that things are out of place. But he also knows how to bring them back to where they belong. Doubly, the passage says, 
twice as much, even now. Double payment for your suffering. In Isaiah 40, in verse 2, it tells us this, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then again in, in Isaiah 61, verse 7, instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion and instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance, and so they will inherit a double portion in their land. And everlasting joy will be theirs. And you see, Jesus, Jesus is the fulfillment of these, of these two verses. He paid for our sins. He paid for our sins with the suffering of his soul. And he is rewarded with being the cosmic king. So in him, we have the promise of rest. And in him, we have the eternal peace, the eternal peace that, that you see in the new Jerusalem. So, so, you know, you think of the beauty, you think of the beauty of this world and, you know, and, and the world is beautiful, is it not? You know, it, you, you, you see the beauty and what you're looking at is something that's marred by sin. And Romans 8 tells us that the, the world itself is a prisoner of this hope, longing for the children of God to be liberated, waiting for that. So imagine, imagine what it was like, what this world was like when it was in its perfect condition and it was pronounced good. Well, think of it as being doubly good. <laughs> taking, taking the opulence of the new Jerusalem there in Revelation 21, where it's, it's shining with the glory of God. Its brilliance is like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. And the streets are gold. The gates are made of pearl. The walls and their foundation are all sorts of, of jewels. And, and the glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. And the passage ends, the, uh, the chapter ends saying, nothing impure and no shameful or deceitful actions will enter it. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So come, the passage says, so come. So the song says, come, we that love the Lord, we're marching to Zion, the beautiful city of God. See, that's, that's the consolation of this hope. Now, can you imagine, if, you're, if, you, if you've been in prison, you've been, you're one of these returning exiles, how would you respond to hearing this? How would you respond to hearing this? Or maybe you're, or maybe you're among those remaining captives, See, not only are, are you hearing the, the news of your impending release, but this hope, this hope now shapes your existence as a captive. It, shapes, it's, it controls your behavior while you're in exile. It informs all of, all of your decisions as a captive. You're a prisoner of this hope. So, given the character of this hope, the conquest of this hope, the covenant of this hope and the consolation of this hope. Are you a prisoner of this hope? 
You know, does this, does this hope shape your life? That's the expectation of scripture. This is what it calls us to in 1 John 3, 2, this, the second half in verse 3. It says, but we know, John's talking about Christ coming, and he's writing, he's writing to, to, to us, to believers. He's talking about Christ coming, and he says, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So you take, it, you take in this hope, you take in this hope into the core of your being so that all, all that you are is defined by this hope. So you, you might live in America, but... And yeah, this is this is, you know the independence of America and the things that have taken place. I mean, it's it's outstanding, and and you know, and I think as history goes, it will it, you know it will it will be seen as outstanding. But that's not what should drive your life. You know, you might be you might be you know whatever your ethnicity. You know, you might you know whatever your ethnicity. You, you know, this is who you are. You know, so so I'm black. You know, in case you didn't know. But that's not what defines me. So when you, you, can be, you might be whatever, whatever your ethnicity, but, but and it, whatever it is that you see when you look in the mirror. But, see, but those are, those, they are not, they are things that you have, but they're not things that should hold you. You know, there's a difference. There are things that you have, but they're not things that hold you. You're a prisoner of hope if your faith is in Jesus Christ. And perhaps you've been given a diagnosis and, and the news is fearful, but that's something that you have, but it doesn't have you. You're a prisoner of hope. Christ is your strength. He is your shelter. He is your fortress. Return to him, the scripture says. He's the spiritual drink that quenches the thirst of your soul. He is your rest. Perhaps you're anxious about the future and, and you don't know what's going to take place with COVID-19. You don't know what's going to happen with all this social, societal, cultural upheaval. Perhaps you're, you're anxious about the future. Well, see, those are things that are happening. They aren't things that will last. So let me suggest to you that you should join in. You should join in with the rest of the prisoners of hope. And let me say it like this. See, there is a sound that prisoners of hope make. There's a sound that they make. And it's a sound, it's the, it's the unified sound of, of shouts of joy and rejoicing. You know, in the movie, Just Mercy, I don't know if you've seen it. If you haven't, spoiler alert. You know, there's a scene where, where Herbert Richardson, he's about to be executed. And, he, and, and the guard comes to get him and Herbert, Herbert asks, can I say bye to my friends? You know, the guard nods and, and Herbert walks over to Walter. So Walter is the main, is, is, is the one whom the story is about, just mercy. You know, uh, but Walter, Walter replies, you know, when it get too much, when it get too much for you, you take them deep breaths and let your mind go. Wish I didn't have to do this alone. You ain't by yourself, Herbert. We all with you. Ain't that right, Ray? That's right, Herb. You ain't, 
you ain't rid of us yet. You've been a good friend, Herbert says to Walter. And as they take him to, to the room where the electric chair is, he asks the guard if she has a song that he requested ready to play. And, and she nods and, and he's, he's strapped into the chair and, and they ask if, if he has any last words. And he, he says to them, you know, I, I'm sorry for what it is that I did. And I don't hold anything against anybody. And the song that he requested begins to play. On a hill, far away, stood an old rugged cross. And the song is heard throughout the prison. And the other prisoners, they take their, their metal cups. They know what's about to happen. And in a show of, of solidarity, they, they, they take their cups and they start making noise, running the cup along the bars of the cells. And they're all shouting, we're with you, Herbert! We're with you! You see, that's the sound of prisoners of hope. That's the sound that they make as they take to the streets to bring righteousness to the community. When you carry a meal to the sick, you're making that sound of a prisoner of hope. When you take the risk of, of reaching across the lines of ethnicity and class, you're making that sound of a prisoner of hope. When you give money to ministries of mercy, you're making the sound of a prisoner of hope. When you share the gospel with someone who's hopeless, bound to some false hope, you're making the sound of a prisoner of hope. And when the prisoners of hope are, are pouring value into the community, it sounds like, we're with you, Dover. We're with you. See, like Chris Rock Assisi, you know, just because you're, you're on death row doesn't mean you are a prisoner of hopelessness. You know what he still does? He still goes into the prison. He goes back into that prison and he teaches the principles of peacemaking to the condemned. Now, he participates in, in the graduations of the men who, who finished the peacemaking course. They receive certificates and he participates in the graduation. See, he's making the sound of a prisoner of hope. Brothers and sisters, rejoice. Shout for Jesus, our covenant-keeping king. He came the first time and he offered the promise of rest. He is coming again. And this time he will restore everything and our rest will be eternal. Let this hope control your existence. Let it inform your decision. Let it, Let it be the reply of the tongue and let it be the lens through which you view the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this hope is all about you, and it's all from you. And if you, Lord, aren't infusing it into our very beings, Lord, as you are, and you have been, and you, Lord, we no doubt will continue to do so, there is hope for the city to rejoice at the prosperity of the righteous because of you. And we pray that you will do it. Amen. Let us stand and we sing hymn number.